Happy birthday. And it's today, 20 years ago, on July 27, 2002, in its Vienna's most important high-tech incubation program was created. Uh, I see it as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Diversity matters. Yeah, no matter whether it's within a single small organization like a startup um, or globally and in the economy. Yeah, um, uh, I simply see it as an opportunity. Yeah, there's there is one business idea and one founder that might not be successful in one ecosystem, but still could be successful somewhere else. Um, so I definitely see the opportunity rather than the challenges. Yes, it's complicated, but if you if you have strategies to to tackle those complexities, um, you can succeed even better. In this episode, I'm talking with Yarine Fielke, CEO of Inits. In 20 years, Inits has been able to support over 300 high-tech startups with necessary tools for a successful and sustainable market entry. Dr. Irene Fielka is CEO of INITS, Vienna's University Business Incubator, supporting entrepreneurs with R&D-based business ideas, serving all academic institutions in Vienna. She has a background in genetics and molecular biology and has worked with deep tech startups since 2004. Under her leadership, INITS was awarded three times by UBI Global, as one of the top-ranked UBIs in the world. In its startups have proven to be extremely successful in raising funds. 12 times the average UBI-supported startup, according to UBI Global, and finding strategic partners. She personally worked with the founders of Apeptico, Blutenium Robotics, Lexogen, Litos, Marinomed, MySugar, and many, many more. Marinomed is the first of over 300 companies who went public in 2019, an IPO on the Vienna Stock Exchange. In collaboration with partners such as Böhringer Ingelheim, Pfizer and Unica, Dr. Fielke and her team launched the Health Hub Vienna in 2018. Health Hub Vienna is an acceleration program for international health startups with the goal to drive innovation and change in the healthcare industry in Europe. In this episode, we are talking about the success story of INITS from 2002 to 2022, the development of the startup ecosystem in Europe, the three major developments of INITS in the last 20 years, INITS vision for the coming two decades, female founders, and much, much more. I wish the team of Inits all the best for their birthday presentation. Keep up your great work. It has a huge positive impact on the startup ecosystem in Europe and makes a difference. Enjoy the show. Irene, it's good to see you again. <laughs> good to see you. I think it's two years, three years ago, isn't it? Yeah. Um, time is, time is flying. flying. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm particularly happy because I got an invitation from you where you're invited to uh, one of the first real life events in summer. It's next week. It's um, the in its 20th year's anniversary, if I remember it right. Correct. Yeah. And that's why I thought it uh, is uh, a great idea to talk about. Um, in it and the last 20 years, how the model evolved and how you shaped the ecosystem here in Vienna. Thanks for the opportunity. 
<laughs> it's, it's very great. Um, let me start with the with the first question. I mean, the first time that I heard of Inits, I think it was um, 2009 or 2010, uh, in connection with Temis Bioscience. Uh, when did Inits start? Inits was incorporated incorporated exactly coming week, 20 years ago, so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. On 27th of July, 2002. Mm. Uh, yeah. So 2002. Um, um, that's the reason why we, we celebrate the 20th anniversary at our traditional summer festival. Um, mm. And uh, the push really came from a program which is today called A plus B Scale Up. Um, it's a program that aims at um, helping researchers incorporate spin-offs from academic uh, uh, organizations and research organizations. And this is still our core business that we have run since 20 years. So it's also a celebration of A plus B Scale Up. Uh, program that is 20 years old yeah it is hard to imagine 20 years i mean 2002 was the time um i think when when companies i mean from the life science space it's i think uh um, um what was uh intercell i think was one of the first companies that started exactly. yeah. in in austria with an i would say more or less academic background in life science but mm -hmm. up to that time, um, I think almost all ideas were most of the time on the academic level. So you, you did basically groundbreaking work with uh, within it. Definitely, yeah. Now, now Vienna really has a, a dynamic ecosystem. If you look today, back then mm. in two thousand and two, and I personally joined in two thousand and four, mm. there was no ecosystem. There Absolutely, was nothing. Literally nothing. And it was really, you know, really big, big hurdles and and um, uh, um, and issues that we had to tackle. Today, we do things completely differently because there is an ecosystem that we can work with and that we can can collaborate with, and that supports uh, the, the founders of those businesses also from various sides, so to speak. Yeah, back then, um, it was you know, business agency AWS. Um, already had programs running. You definitely remember that in the life sciences, uh, they started a program um, as a as a you know first trial uh, balloon um, in the life sciences. That is mm. pre seed. Um, mm. They started seed um, um, already. You now there was a couple of things ongoing. We have a couple of um, let's call it sisters. Uh, who are of the same age. Lisa Vienna also mm. celebrates its 20th birthday this year. So there is, was quite something ongoing. And I believe that, but, you know, the, after the dot-com bubble burst um, around 2000, um, there was a lot of burnt grounds also that we had um, had spare uh, space to build something great on. Yeah, and no, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the early 2000s, there were almost nothing here in Vienna. The first time that I got excited about life science was uh, because of Werner Landtaler with Intercell. He did a lot of marketing to demonstrate uh, how great the science is here in Austria and how valuable it is to create companies around. But uh, it created in my circle of influence a lot of question marks because people didn't understand the model. I mean, how can you invest money in something uh, that doesn't produce revenues right away by the question mark uh, back then? And um, 
the yeah, but you know the founders really Alexander von Gabin, Max Birnstiel also, yeah, yeah. Um, really being the first business angel investing into this. There, there has been uh, a great bunch of people um, doing amazing things. Um, Intercell is still alive; is now called Valneva. Um, so, so that's also an exceptional story, I believe. Um, and it was really one of the first who who prepared the ground for Inits to start in 2002, I believe. That's true. And what was the starting point in 2002? I think um, uh, how how did the Inits model start? What offers did you have for academic founders? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Well, basically, um, there was, uh, at the universities, uh, they implemented the new legal framework for the universities. So there was also a change of university law, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, the universities became owners of the intellectual property in 2004. And all this was accompanied by, um, in Austria, um, mm -hmm. uh, by... Um, Programs like A plus B scale lab um, and and in its being the the Vienna based high tech incubator, um, and uh, what they wanted to generate is um, on top of the tech transfer offices that are available um, at the universities and the where just in the process of being built some of them for instance at the University of Technology here in Vienna, there was a tech transfer office that was already huge back then. Yeah. Already, already, early 2000s, really? Yeah, yeah. There, there, it was called Außeninstitut <laughs> okay. back then. <laughs> um, and it was kind of the interface uh, where mm -hmm. the University of Technology researchers had the opportunity to go to um, and uh, uh, get support in terms of getting the contracts done uh, in collaboration with corporates, for instance. The University of Technology always uh, had uh, close ties with corporates, uh, being um, uh, working together in research and development with uh, companies. And that's so they did have that infrastructure. And it was kind of one of the role models in Austria in order to build mm -hmm. those tech transfer offices. At the other universities, these were just in the process of being built. And then on top of that, um, they uh, INITS was created as a tech transfer externally um, with, uh, mm -hmm. with, with uh, the, the focus on supporting startup creation and spin-offs and business creation. Um, so so uh, what, what uh, the, the founders of Init's thought back then, it was, would be a great idea to pool all the academic resources 
um, and create more deal flow and more interdisciplinarity in INITS. Mm. So INITS is responsible not only for our shareholders' universities, is technically university, Theovin, um, but also University of Vienna. Um, we also support all the other universities and academic research organizations here on, on uh, in Vienna. Um, and um, and that's um, that's been a driving force, really. Um, if you compare it, for instance, to Germany, um, there uh, often there is exist is really a, a a program that is comparable to A plus B, and they support um, units within a single university usually. Um, uh, at INITS, I believe, is really an asset to have um, a great variety of universities that we are working for and with um, that makes, uh, I believe, makes it really more powerful also if it comes to business creation and creating innovative business ideas because we have, have this interdisciplinary um, cross-border, let's call it, <laughs> cross-silo collaboration intrinsically at INITS. Mm -hmm. uh, when I look back from from what what you said to to the early 2000s, uh, how did you support startups? I mean, imagine it must be fairly difficult. It must have been fairly difficult in in those days. When I just remember about when I just think about the ecosystem. I mean, founder could go to a bank, but usually the academic founders had business models that were not uh, in the core business of banks. Well, they had no business model, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> very often. Um, the business model is really the most difficult issue if it comes to spin-offs from academic organizations. Um, they are very, very good in, in their respective technology or science, what they do. Um, and, and then it really, you know, the, those spin-offs, they fly if the business model really works out. Yeah? But that's also something that usually a researcher coming directly from the university um, does not they are not, you know, they didn't never learn that. Um, so that's exactly why INITS is helping them. Um, mm -hmm. We help them to create business models that can grow. Um, and, um, and that's always been the same at INITS. We make them ready for investors. We make them ready even for the public funding ecosystem that we have really amazing ecosystem in Austria. Um, and and that's um, that's that's what we have done back then. Uh, what what's the difference? There was um, we were not as good. We also were a startup, if you could call it like that. Uh, we had to we had to try different ways of supporting mm. our our founders. Um, we we went to pretty much every hotspot where we would uh, think of of uh, universities creating great spin-offs. So we went to the United States. We went to the Boston area. We went to Silicon Valley. We went to Munich. We went to London. You know, we checked out how do similar incubators, academic business incubators, really support their founders and try to learn from them. Um, mm -hmm. We even had teachers coming over and doing our courses but we also realized that very often they were talking about situations that we never had back then. <laughs> so it was there was kind of a dissonance sometimes. There was no fit really. What they tried to teach would be would be possible and valuable if you were in Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. but not in Vienna back then. Um, so that's uh, that's how we you know, developed our own processes. Um, we always. Uh, 
try to learn from others. We always, we still keep an exchange of experience with other great um, and awarded business incubators um, across the globe. Uh, one network that we use a lot mm-hmm. is uh, UB Global, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they really um, um, have KPIs that they measure, so to speak, in order to uh, to uh, to look over the quality of uh, an incubator, what they can offer, and their units has been ranked uh, very high. But you know, there is all the top ranked uh, business incubators um, that are awarded in this. Let's 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 specify very high. Let's specify very high. What are your KPIs? <laughs> so. Um, our KPIs definitely is the success of the startups. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's that's the most important KPI. Um, we count numbers of jobs created. So how fast or how how well and sustainably do they grow? Um, that needs a lot of money. So we also count how much follow-on funding they get. Um, we uh, we count how many female founders we have. Um, for instance, that's that's also a, that's become a KPI. Um, mm. If you look at the ecosystem across the globe, um, mm. do we are we able to you know lift that potential um, and and motivate um, female researchers also to to take that spin off route? Um, so that's that's something that we measure. Um, um, uh, we we split the follow-on funding in public funding and also private funding. Mm-hmm. Um, if we look at our portfolio, um, two-thirds of the money they raise or have raised ever since in its um, existed um, is private money and it comes really comes from across the globe. Yeah. Yeah. So when we when we look at, uh, at the last 20 years, I have a finance background. Uh can you share the numbers, the successes that you created in the twenty in twenty years in the KPIs? How many companies uh, you founded, basically you supported? Uh, how much money they raised, and uh, what happened to the companies? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's too many to really <laughs> talk about every everyone. Um, I, I have time until tomorrow, so we can go through it. <laughs> me. I need to work with our startups. You know, um, uh, uh, we have supported over three hundred businesses. Three hundred. Wow, that's over impressive. In the past twenty years, uh, they were selected from about ten times as many business ideas that we have screened and also supported by asking critical questions, by giving them tips how to go on or also not to go on Yeah, mm-hmm. if, we can, um, uh, if we consider it um, a, a high likelihood of failure, so to speak. Um, so so that's, that's numbers in our incubation program. Uh, uh, in, uh, in the past five years, we started a couple of other programs, um, um, th- these numbers are not, not even included in these 300. Wow. Um, those 300 have, have raised about three quarters of a billion of capital, not, counting, not counting sales. Yeah, where mm. I have to say um, uh, this is also a KPI uh, and mm. pro- most likely the most important KPI really 
do we sell what we develop? Um, and it's the best money that a startup ever can get. So the earlier they can sell something, the better it is. Um, also because they have co-funding to public funding, um, but because most importantly, because it's proof that, it, that, that they have something that somebody is willing to pay for. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy that you mentioned that because I sometimes I have the feeling in the startup economy, uh, it's very often forgotten that the purpose of a company is basically satisfying selling customer something. needs, yeah. <laughs> selling something and not yeah. fundraising. Exactly. I mean, yes, there are those businesses which which really aim at selling themselves as mm. a business. Yeah. So, so there are some businesses that clearly have the strategy built to sell. Yeah, and it's important to take the decision very early on um, whether you want to grow a business or whether you want to grow a business to sell it. Um, that's that's completely different strategies. Um, in the end, also there, this technology must make money for the buyer, uh, even if it's an exit. So, um, uh, proving that somebody is willing to pay for the innovation that is being developed uh, in those businesses. Uh, that's definitely um, an important KPI. Yeah. But coming back to the former question, uh, uh, those 300 startups have raised about three uh, three quarters of a billion uh, euro of money mm. um, from really starting from business angels. Uh, it it's it's um, it's and if we add on top the public funding, it's about a billion. Um, and wow. um, and so on average, um, we're we're pretty high, I believe, if we, if we compare with other business incubators across the globe. No, absolutely, especially since the billion occurred since two thousand two, and uh, not in the last last twelve months. So before uh, before yeah. inflation, so it's even more impressive because when I mean, did you ever make a calculation? Uh, also including the, the inflation. Uh, it must be much more than, I mean, over 20 years. Uh, never, we never did that, but it must be uh, It must be much, much more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's impressive because, I mean, Austria still is a small country mm -hmm. and you had 300 businesses incubated uh, beginning in a time when entrepreneurship was fairly new. So uh, leaving university yeah. and uh, starting a company was not the, would say, the first advice people got. It was not the primary route of research, <laughs> definitely not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and when I look at Init now today in 2022, uh, what offering do you have for startups uh, today? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host Matt Heslin brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. We offer them uh, a one-year incubation program, uh, talking about the A plus B scale-up incubator, um, where we help them to 
uh, really have a careful look at the scalability of the business model. That's the mm -hmm. most important part. Uh, we we um, connect them with you know every everything on everybody they need, uh, be it new team members. Sometimes we're looking for co-founders. Uh, um, there is a, a program even that is aiming at exactly building uh, an entrepreneurial team because sometimes the universities also have intellectual property, um, but there is no research that is willing or able to become a, an entrepreneur. So we are looking for entrepreneurs to take this piece mm -hmm. of potential, so to speak, and make a business out of it. Um, we also invest into our startups up to 100,000 euro. Um, That's great. For a one-for-all validation. As, um, so for, for 10,000 euro, we take 1% of virtual shares. Um, mm. Virtual shares because we don't want to blow up the cap table in those businesses. So we, we don't want speaking rights. It's really um, just sharing in the losses and gains, hopefully. Mm. <laughs> um, and um, and this money is is has the advantage that it comes very fast. Um, so the startups can decide whether they think that 10,000 euro is worth 1% of their potential gains. Um, then they can give us the, the, the documents to present in front of the investment board. The investment board um, uh, takes place 10 days after that. And one, two, three days after um, that session, they can have the money on the bank account. Yeah? So that's a very quick um, money that is available to those high-tech startups at that very early stage. Um, that's that's unusual. Um, that that speed is unusual in itself, no matter which time. But um, that very early stage with these high, still also technological risks, um, that's that's very valuable support for the startups also. And that's a problem that we were able to implement with the help of our shareholders and the city of Vienna who gave us the money um, that we can now invest. That's that's great news. I think uh, also the, the terms that you mentioned are pretty much international standard uh, when I compare it uh, with Y Combinator, for example. The last time I read about Y Combinator was about a year ago and they amended slightly the model and they inject $125,000 uh, at 7% uh, uh, of the equity into the company. So it's pretty much uh, similar to what, what you are doing. Yeah, but in order to, to get into Y Combinator, usually you have to be a little bit further than, mm. than the founders usually um, are in when they come to us. Yeah, So I do see Y Combinator as a potential follow-on um, yeah. partner. And that's also what they get. Yeah, If you ask our startups, uh, the founders, they would always say what's the most valuable part about Inits is the huge network that we have built. Yeah. And it's those people we know who came into Y Combinator, so we can connect them with the person who did it, who made it. Um, we can we we have um, we have uh, a lot of connections in the business angel ecosystem that has developed over the past ten years in Vienna like crazy. I mm. have to say, so there was no business angel visible at all when I started in two thousand and four. Um, but but now there is a really a lot, um, and we connect them. We uh, we connect them with potential partners, corporates who might be interesting for them because they have resources. They could 
you know, sponsor them material or could invest into them also if they have corporate VCs. So that's really um, the issue that we we give them. Yeah, they also get the mentoring, of course, as, as a huge and important part of that, which is one way of connecting them to those who know more, who have experienced more, um, and who can help them to do the the right things and the things right. That was just smiling because what you said reminded me of uh, 2002, three, four, five, six. Um, today, I think everybody has a go-to place. Uh, you can open up the internet and uh, Google uh, where can startups go in Vienna. Then uh, very high uh, ranked, I believe, is in it. Um, you can just uh, call in it, go there, <laughs> get um Get, get the right connections, know the right people. And when I think back to 2004 or five, uh, when people wanted to start a company, I mean, not, I don't think that in Austria the term startup was, uh, was used. So it was just, yeah. you make a company and then you go to a bank and the bank says, with that business model, we can't fund you because you don't yeah. have one. Yeah. Like good luck, we had public funding instruments back then already, like yeah. AWS pre-seed, seed. FFG um, uh, money that the startups could get for developing, etc. So, so we, um, yeah, we, I, I think we did a great job. The entire Absolutely. ecosystem, the small, as small as it was. Yeah. When I, in two thousand six, I was at Napriva. It was a Novartis spin-out. and initially Napriva started at the Novartis campus in the twenty third district, and then moved to Leverstrasse. It was. Uh, basically across the street of uh, the T-Mobile yeah. building and Intercell. But other than T-Mobile and Intercell, I think the entire area was pretty empty. And when I look now at this area, INITS is there, the Vienna Biocenter is there, universities are there. And how many how many startups do you have in, in, at the Biocenter and at INITS currently? Um, well, that depends on what how you count. Um, <laughs> um, um, at the Vienna Biocenter, Association, there is quite a number. You can look it up on the web uh, page, vienabiocenter.org. Um, mm-hmm. So you have all those. But then again, they are not, um, they are members, even some some of them not really sitting here, but, you know, being here once in a while and and also taking advantage of the network of, of CEOs, of experienced CEOs. We also meet on a regular basis. Um, mm-hmm. So, so, um, and then as in it, it depends on whether we count only the program that we are running mm-hmm. right now. Um, that's about 20 um, startups that we run usually because we have two batches that we start every year. Um, and in every batch, we take up eight to 10 startups. Um, and the program is always one year. So we always have um, two batches. Yeah, one is a little bit half a year older than the other. Um, and if you count them, it's all usually about 20. But um, as we also invest in our startups, um, you know, we, we are very well connected with them. Uh, we also use them as mentors. Um, mm-hmm. um, so so we, are, we are really well connected with every startup. I just recently... Um, uh, I, I saw a, a LinkedIn posting of a founder of a startup that we took up in 2004. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we are still connected with them. Yeah, it was our first exit. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. an active in time an IT company um, that was bought by uh, UC4. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and he now went on to do something else. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's great. Congratulations! But I think back 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 in two thousand four, the Init model was uh, alone uh, initially. Do I remember that right? So it's uh, you also invested in a very early stage. Uh, so in in your model, early stage in the companies. But uh, I think the, the, we invested the, time back then. Time, yeah. Yeah? We invested time um, and and also money, but that was public funding. It was not mm-hmm. what we could, the two of us would call an investment. Yeah. So we didn't take shares. Um, it was a kind of a public grant, um, um, an, a conditional grant also. Um, so it was completely different structure. Um, what they got from us basically, but they always got the support. You know the. Um, training them, helping them to pitch well, helping them to reach out to investors. Um, um, you know, mentoring also was part of the program already starting in 2004. It was just different mentors and there was not that many, um, um, but but that was always the part of it. And they also always needed early stage funding. Um, so we gave them that, but it was a different quality of funds that they got. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. And I think Inis is doing a great job uh, in mentoring and uh, also bringing people together that can tell startup founders how to present their company to the outside world, not to go with a uh, hundred pages to the first meeting with investors, but to slice down the presentation to 10 to 15 pages. And this is also included in your in your program, this kind of uh, consultancy. Yeah, I also, you know, I would not even call it consultancy sometimes. Yeah, sometimes mm-hmm. we are coaches, sometimes we are sparring partners. And very often the most important thing is really asking the right questions. Um, um, so not necessarily having all the answers, but preparing them for, oops, that question might come. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we also have someone who might help them to answer the question. Sometimes it's us when it's mm-hmm. real consultancy. Um, but but very often it's someone from the ecosystem, a mentor, a, a, an investor that we we know very well. Yeah, to help them, you know, not uh, trip into the same um, um, traps like others before. So so we really use the entire ecosystem to help our startups grow and foster. When I, when I prepared for this episode, I thought, I mean, it would be really nice to go through every single milestone of Inits. But since you had more than 300 companies and per year now you have run 40 um, in your programs and you started a lot of more initiatives than Inits in the last years, uh, I think it would take us until tomorrow to go through for every position um, or every development. So uh, let me ask you um, the question in a way that we talk about the three major milestones of INITS in the last 20 years. Uh, what were the three most important milestones in your opinion that INITS uh, achieved? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, we can also make it five or ten. The first uh, was really established in its in a way that we did get the A plus B money several times in a row. Yeah. So yeah. we delivered delivered the KPIs that the, the public um uh, funding agency was first FFG, now it's AWS, um, was really looking for. And that is do the startups that we support grow better and develop better than those that are not incubated? And I believe that's uh, that's 
Um, that, that's one of the most important accomplishments. It's maybe not a milestone in, in the sense that there was a certain time, um, there was a series of milestones because the program comes in five years tranches. Um, and and we we have to convince the public fund you know the ministry and the public funding agency every five years uh, to really get the money and there that was really one of the most important milestones uh, just right now the last one uh, where Init's got uh, A plus B scale up and really the the biggest sum of all because it's a compete it's a also a competitive process um, where the money is split up uh, onto different uh, university business incubators. And, and um, I believe um, that, that we get the money because obviously it was convincing that our startups are very successful. Yeah? Um, so it was a huge, huge milestone. I also believe that one, one milestone and, and there was, um, uh, there was, uh, five years ago, the the, instru- the funding instrument itself changed, um, mm. and we took the opportunity to launch other programs um, that are complementary to the core business university business incubation scale up, uh, and that is start capital, so the investment. We started to invest into our startups um, uh, that was enabled by by that switch in you know. Uh, um, framework so to speak we started how, may, may i ask you to interrupt yeah, you with, with, with one question how was it to change the model how, how challenging was it for you um to go from the old in its model uh to convince our decision makers that uh investing in the startups is the right way forward because i think it's a, it's a major wasn't it a major shift in the in the its model to go definitely from? that was not easy honestly <laughs> that was not was not easy but we really had uh, the backup of our shareholders and the city of Vienna, mm. um, who saw the opportunity also to to give startups who are spin-offs from from the academic uh, landscape um, uh, to help them, you know, get money quicker, so to speak, um, in Vienna because that's that's. Still a challenge for every study, probably everywhere in the world. Yeah, the first money is usually the the toughest one, um, and that was an opportunity that was supported by the city of Vienna um, and our shareholders. Um, so that's that's definitely one of the milestones. And now we have currently we have ten investments that we still have shares in. We invested in over forty. Um, um, some of them, you know, um, paid back the money relatively quickly because they that was really one of the last push in order to to uh, to to make them convince private investors also. Um, and and we had our exits already, uh, so we we gained money <laughs> in some. We also lost money, of course. Um, but that's really a learning curve. That is a real huge milestone of Inits um, that happened in the last five years. And it was enabled by the structural difference, so to speak, to the first 15 years. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Um, and then we also started to, uh, to run programs that are um, follow-on programs to the incubation program. Mm-hmm. Um, there we started two programs, Health Hub Vienna in 2018, mm-hmm. 
where we aim at supporting um, health tech startups to really get into the healthcare system um, and, and also help, help the healthcare system to change. Let's call it like that. Yeah. So that's the ambition of Health Vienna, um, where it's all about digitalization and driving driving the change in the healthcare system, you know, following all those trends that, that we all know with digitalization, personalization, etc. And the other program is uh, rather unique too, um, that is validated global, where we collaborate with Impact Hub Vienna, um, pooling their impact measurement and know-how and support know-how of social entrepreneurs with our know-how in supporting technology-driven startups mm-hmm. and helping those um, uh, to enter developing countries and markets that right, are the, right. the future growing markets, but usually are not on the radar screen of those startups. Um, so what we do is help them to get into, to, to do something like a feasibility there, Um uh, we have partners, local partners that we collaborate uh, very intensely with. They are the ones who really support the businesses to get into the ecosystem there and into the market there, because that's not something that we claim. Yeah, we don't know anything about African markets, <laughs> basically. So we we teamed up with uh, with partners um, there, who are then the local partners of the startups also. Um, and um, and one of the startups, uh, they had um, their solution implemented in a hospital within a couple of weeks. Yeah. Great. Super speed. Um, yeah. um, and, and it was possible because uh, we teamed up with Impact Hub Vienna. That's the first thing. But also because the funding comes from Austrian Development Agency, um, who, who realized that uh, very often they fund pilot projects. But then... Um, there's a lack of sustainability. Uh, The pilot works well, but it still doesn't go on. Uh, There is no more impact, uh, ongoing impact created. Um, And this we want to change. These are amazing achievements uh, within the last 20 years. So it's it's really great development. Especially reaching out, I think it's it's uh, in Europe. I think it's still very unique that companies reach out to African nations. I always get reminded from my African friends that Africa is not a country; it's a continent. So, um, there's a different chance. But I think, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not for Europe, isn't it? <laughs> but it's, but, it, but I think, but I think in Europe it's still not very usual that uh, European companies. I mean, I always get the feeling that European companies tend to the United States on one hand, and also get more and more interested, of course, to Japan, go to Japan and China. Mm-hmm. But uh, Africa as the continent by itself has a lot of variety and opportunity. Mm-hmm. How, how is how is how is your assessment of the African continent from from Dini's perspective? Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. Um, yeah, it's underestimated. 
that's that's the reason why we started the program um, for the startups. Yeah, some startups might have a chance to even be faster in Africa than than here. You never must underestimate the cultural difference. Um, so so definitely don't go there alone, so to speak. Um, yeah, ask for help. The advantage Austria also helps Austrian startups at least um, to to do that and you know support you in connecting and and learning how to behave so to speak what's what's culturally acceptable um, um, also interpret uh, you know when something happens why um, and and these kinds of things so that's um, that, this is what I believe other than that honestly I personally don't have any experience with Africa um, personally. So that's the reason why we reach out to those who do and um, those who live there and um, mm. those who know exactly what kind of problems they really have. Um, when learning, for instance, for me, it was interesting to hear that that um, if, if, you, you know, if you think that you could uh, make a huge business just, you know, Changing anything with uh, an easy to handle app. Yeah, sometimes they don't even have wireless LAN mm. capacity. So, so that you always have to consider the real problems that they have there. Um, and this you can do only if you work together with partners there. Um, um, and I believe that's that's one of the, the the winning recipes, so to speak. Yeah, it's not that we know all the technologies um, and help them. Uh, no. Uh, we have good technologists. Some of them can help them, mm. but we can help that also only if we have local partners that we collaborate with. Yeah, yeah who understands the local problems. So it's always uh, connecting yeah. the solution with the problem. And if they have other problems, the best solution is not really helpful. Definitely. Be more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of programs that help African startups to go to Europe and the United mm. States and, and also Asia. Uh, But there is um, the validator global is really exceptional in the sense that that we help we help uh, connecting the the two ec the ecosystem startup ecosystem with each other and learning with and from each other. No, there, there can't never be enough connecting organizations. I guess the the the, the start. I mean the the entire. Economy, startup economy is very complex. It's very diverse and bringing people, the right people together is very often, in my opinion, a game of chance and luck. So you just, uh, you, you can't really plan that. How do you see, how do you see the, the complexity or the difficulties in the startup ecosystem globally from the Inuit's perspective? Uh, I see it as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Diversity matters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No matter whether it's within a single small organization like a startup. Um, or globally and in the economy, yeah. Um, uh, I simply see it as an opportunity. Yeah, there's there is one business idea and one founder that might not be successful in one ecosystem, but still could be successful somewhere else. Um, so I definitely see the opportunity rather than the challenges. Yes, it's complicated, but if you if you have strategies to to tackle those complexities, um, you can succeed even better. Yeah, I think the best strategy for countries is creating incubation programs like INITS uh, who bundle and uh, bring the right people together. When we talk about... That's in our you know, DNA. It was yeah. there. We were born like that. Yeah, <laughs> Working for all the universities in Vienna. Yeah. 
that's true. Uh, I think, I mean, the next question I have, I think is very difficult. I mean, uh, no offense, you have 300 companies um, and I believe pretty much all are very successful in what they're doing. No. Uh, yeah, no. but but given, given the time, uh, can we can we select two or three success stories from uh, from the in its um, uh, universe? Let's call it that way uh, to give give in its a little bit more flesh. What happens when a company goes to in its gets funding, gets support? What's the end point of the development? Do you mm -hmm. have in mind two or three success stories to just exemplify for founders uh, when they go to in its? What can be the end result at the end of the day? Sure, sure. Um, Uh, we have businesses uh, that ran for exit mm -hmm. very successfully, like My Sugar. My mm -hmm. Sugar is My uh, Sugar was it at Inits? Yes, great. My um, Sugar was um, or is uh, an app for diabetic patients mm -hmm. to help them handle their therapy um, in a more easy, in a more playful way, and more efficiently. Um, And uh, my sugar was at Inits in 2009. Um, uh, during the incubation period, they got an investor, one of the most famous investors in Austria, I would like to say Hansi Hansmann, invested in the company. Um, uh, they, they also got support in terms of tackling the questions of regulatory affairs. Uh, my sugar is uh, the first app the FDA ever approved as a medical device. And so they also did groundbreaking work in regulatory affairs, so to speak, yeah, with, together with a, um, uh, with a um, governmental agency. I absolutely agree with that. And maybe my sugar, pardon me? I absolutely agree with that. Maybe we can stop it. I think before my sugar, the digital world was pretty much ignored by the pharma industry. So it was really challenging yeah. to convince pharma companies and investors in, in pharmaceutical or in drug development to look at the digital space. And then came my sugar. And I think my sugar globally was a game changer. It was, yeah, it's an Austrian startup. And we're really, really proud of that. Mm -hmm. uh, that is really one of the first of its kind globally. Um, uh, an app startup being taken over by Roche um, in 2017. Um, and um, yeah, And now, if you ask the founders, yeah, um, it was the best thing that could happen to the technology also, um, because now they are active, you know, they are being sold in 80 countries globally, which they admit they would have never managed by themselves uh, without that support and those established uh, sales channels also that Roche can su uh, supply. Yeah. Um, so that's one example. Another example is Spock. Um, Spock mm -hmm. is an app uh, It's a flea market app, yeah. So you can use, you can take a picture of your old clothes or your old furniture and sell them to other uh, um, on a private base. Um, it's a startup that took over um, eBay <laughs> at a very young age in in one country, um, and they were also. Wait, 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 wait. Spock took over eBay in one country? No, no, they didn't take over. They took over in terms of business they made. Yeah, yeah really? They outperformed, yeah. sorry. They outperformed. Spock outperformed eBay. This is, in, this is, in, pretty, this is pretty impressive. That, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, um, and they just, yeah, they just did it all well. Yeah? And, and the driving force uh, behind was, in fact, the female, one, a female founder, um, mm -hmm. 
in a Klaus Berger and her co-founder, um, Armin Strubeck, he always says it was her who was the driving yeah. force, yeah. <laughs> really pulling this off. Yeah. Um, so that's another example. Um, um, maybe staying in, in IT, Zuvu, um, is is a company who uh, who develops online sales, automated online sales assistance. They have customers globally, including huge players like Amazon or others. Wow. Um, um, it's a huge business. Meanwhile, still in Vienna, um, still growing. Um, most likely on the on the path to to exit. Um, so um, they they have close to two hundred people staff members. Uh, most of them in 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 Austria, in Vienna. Um, so that's also a business that uh, that is um, that was at in its very very early. Uh, they came to us with the idea of what you would call a chatbot today. <laughs> Back then, it was not called chatbot, um, um, but now they have you know much more sophisticated um, uh, AIs to support online sales. Yeah. Um, another one, maybe Marinomate, is our first exit at the stock exchange. Mm -hmm. um, that's a biotech company developing antiviral therapies. They have nasal sprays on the market. Very early on, they had a product on the market because it also was um, regi registered uh, or approved as a medical device, as a na nasal spray. Um, uh, another example, also big exit just recently, is Origin. Uh, a company also oh. founded by a female founder. Uh, they develop um, a platform to um, identify antigens as as targets. And the first the first product they proved uh, uh, with that the platform really works is an anti acne therapy. Oh. Um, so they fight serious acne, um, and they were taken over by Sanofi just recently. Um, so. Uh, but, but, but we are also proud of, for instance, a company, completely different domain, uh, 3D printing um, mm. is very strong in Austria. Uh, Litos is really one of the, the key players in 3D printing um, unusual material, let's call it like that, um, 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 globally. And that's a company as a real hidden champion. Um, they, they are not built for exit uh, so far. Um, um, and and they they keep growing and keep pushing the three D printing ecosystem not only in Vienna but everywhere in the world um, really being one of the the most exceptional businesses um, and that that we have had in our in our business incubator uh, so but we are also in clean tech yeah um, ECOP uh, ECOP for instance has uh, a huge machine helping huge industry to uh, to be more energy efficient uh, so lots of examples uh, i believe that 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 are interesting yeah my exit i couldn't agree more. i mean exit mustn't be or should not be the end point i think for for the founders i think it was brian armstrong the the founder of coinbase who said that companies or founders should build companies for lasting companies for eternity who solve problems uh, and should not think about exits. It's, it's more investors. It's the job of investors to think about exit, but not of founders. Yeah. yeah. What the founders need to know at the very beginning is whether they want or don't want to build a company to grow or to mm -hmm. sell. Mm -hmm. uh, to sell. Yeah. 
um, because you reach out to completely different investors. That's true. Sources of funds, let's call it. Yeah. Um, and and um, there's something also that has developed very well in, in Europe by now is um, also corporates have started to build um, corporate VCs um, much, much more than it was 10 years ago. Um, they they uh, they become strategic investors mm. rather to grow businesses than to not it's not only VCs uh, is the only the only um, uh, source of funds of big amounts of funds um, and then the businesses grow completely different and they have a completely different strategy to to enter that path successfully. I think this is an important point that you made aligning interests uh, so that you should you said. Uh... I remember right you said that uh, founders should decide early on in which direction they want to go to find the right investors and business partners can you expand a little bit on that thought why why do you think as in its uh, as the ceo of in its why aligning interests is so crucial for the success of uh, companies well if the money or those um, who give the money have completely different goals than the, the founders it simply doesn't work mm. yeah? Because you have this continuous fight, and if one goes this way and one goes the other way, or wants to drive the business in a, into a different direction, it simply doesn't work. Yeah. Um, even worse if the the, co the co-founders are not aligned in terms of where do we want to go. Um, so that's something that with the the startups, the founders really must discuss very early on. Yeah. Um, they must have strategies of when to leave and how to leave the company and let you know the bird fly also. Mm. Uh, um, if if they build a company to grow, it might be that the founders stay there for quite a long time. Um, that's a completely different story. Um, mm. uh, so so the money, you know, the money always um, is a driving force, yes, but it also has interests behind. And and if you need to you need to really align in order to get the full power onto the street. This this direction that we're going sparks my curiosity a little bit. So uh, let me try to ask another question in that direction. Uh, you have seen with your team a few hundred companies. Uh, so 300 are in units and I believe that probably uh, when, it, when you look at your long list and all the pitch decks you get, it's probably more. Uh, Much more. <laughs> what 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 are the three major mistakes or three avoidable major mistakes that you and your team saw in startups that created failure at the end of the day? But where you say, if startups do that differently, uh, they might succeed. Could you could you name could you tell three mistakes avoidable mistakes for startups that founders should be aware of? Um, the biggest failure of founders still is developing something that they like, but never <laughs> talking to a customer, um, making sure that the customer likes the product. Yeah, the falling in love with the old product <laughs> is so easy. <laughs> falling in love with, with your own product um, instead of making the customer fall in love with your product. Yeah? That's definitely one of the biggest mistakes mm -hmm. um, globally, not only at Inits. Mm -hmm. um, um, uh, th that's why we focus on that question, business model, very, very early on. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Um, um, building a product also, you know, this minimum viable product uh, thinking uh, is, is important because with not only that you can get the customer feedback very early and prove 
somebody pays for it, but also you can use the customers to develop further features or more products according to the customer needs. Yeah. So that's definitely one of the, the, the key issues that makes businesses fail. Um, um, and also, you know, they, they will have a hard time getting funding. Mm-hmm. The second um, is really founders' personal mistakes um, uh, on the personal level. Yeah, um, uh, Single founder not letting someone in as a co-founder or several founders not aligning. Yeah, mm-hmm. So um, uh, not talking honestly about what they can do on the individual level um, um, and what they can't. Um, so uh, being honest with each other, so to speak. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that's um, that's really a source of a lot of failures uh, where the team you know, does not really work full power at their, at their best, yeah, bringing in their best skills um, um, and, and buying in everything else. Um, um, that's, that's a second source. Um, and then a third source sometimes is just the wrong timing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that also, you know, can be the wrong time for an innovation that the, the market is not ready yet <laughs> for. Yeah. Um, but it can also be the right time or the wrong timing, not being at the right place at the right time. Uh, um, where many of the founders, if you ask uh, founders whether, uh, what was their uh, was their success factors? Many of them say it was luck. Yeah, um, and luck is you know is, is simply said, but uh, really being at the right time, meeting the right people, being open to opportunities um, is definitely also something that you have. It's a skill. It's not only luck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I would add, I would like to add to the last point that you make about the timing. It's also patience, in my opinion, when you think about the two companies from, from, from the Init universe. Marino made you mentioned it, and also Temis Bioscience, I think, was it in its initially. Um, viral disease is a long time, but pretty much neglected by the pharma industry, in my opinion. So working on solutions for that uh, was not very high on the priority list. And then in March 2020, uh, due to SARS-CoV-2, obviously, um, the the need in the pharma industry changed so it also sometimes takes a lot of patience to stick with a game plan uh push through adversity and continue developing even when people say it's not necessary but some things might change very quickly and then suddenly what you said uh the company is at the right point in time or biontech for example biontech started mm-hmm. mrna yeah. uh developments it's i think biontech it's not connected to init but uh, it's an example for patients so they started developing i think 2007 eight or somewhere and invested 13 14 15 years in the development until they reached the point of maturity that they really could provide a solution to a very specific problem mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not sure whether I would call it patience. Yeah, yeah. I would call it endurance. <laughs> well, um, uh, because you, you sometimes you wait too long. Yeah, sometimes, as I said, the markets are not right. Yeah, mm. um, and sometimes you're lucky. I mean, COVID nobody would have wished for definitely, mm. um, but still, it it um, it opened up a lot of opportunities, and not only for vaccines, also in the digital health space. Yeah, um, uh, in Austria, digital digital health was non-existing um basically before 2020 yeah now 
um, everybody felt that we need those solutions. And, and they also felt that how well those solutions really feel if you use them, even if there is no more urgent needs, so to speak. Um, so it, it uh, the, the market was not ready. Yeah. Um, and this is what also what I mean by by um by wrong timing. Yeah, sometimes mm. you are just too early. Yeah. Um yeah. I think, I think the great the great thing that you are doing with your company uh within it is uh for example health hub vienna you started in 2017 do i remember that right exactly. and focused and focused on digital solutions in a time when uh, uh as you said i think uh that there was not much uh how should you call it except if you look globally there was not many programs that yeah. focused on digital health in 2018 mm -hmm. yeah definitely um and now you see many um, yeah. But we were definitely one of the first in Europe uh, to, to launch something like Health of Vienna. This leads me to the next question uh, about INITS. Um, INITS is 20 now, and I believe INITS will be definitely part of the ecosystem here in Europe for a very long time. So the model works and uh, you produce a lot of great startups. And <laughs> I, hope, I hope you keep going. Um, <laughs> What's your vision for INITS for the next 20 years? So I mean, we just imagine that we sit down in 20 years again and talk about how INITS have uh, evolved. Uh, what was the initial vision that you start now building uh, INITS towards to? Um, one issue that is still um, unsolved, uh, there, is, there is two focus areas, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what we see is that more and more we need to uncover the potential of female founders. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at ecosystems all around the globe, uh, females are underrepresented on the founders level, on the startup management level, on the investors level, etc. Yeah? Um, although science tells us diverse teams are much, much stronger. So basically, there is untapped potential that we need to uncover and, and uh, develop. Um, so that's part of the vision that in 20 years, we will have 50% founders. We will have 50% female investors in our ecosystem. Um, and and uh, it will be even better. And the, 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 the equality, so to speak, is also not only an equality, but it's also using the potential of those smart ladies um, um, as we use the smart uh, the smartness of the smart boys. Yeah. Um, so that that's part of the vision. Um, and the other part is uh, also more and more integrating concepts like circular economy, sustainability in its in its mm -hmm. Trilateral sense, yeah, uh, taking care of the environment, uh, taking care of social factors, um, and economy. Really combining this in every startup, yeah, no matter whether it's biotech or clean tech. I mean, clean tech. So that's yes, of course, yeah. But you also can consider uh, uh, aspects of circular economy in a biotech company. You must. In the future, if you, we as as the globe really really want to, want to survive uh, in the long run, yeah, we need to to take that turn, so to speak, yeah, and and that's something that we are going to drive in the future, definitely. 
No, we definitely want to survive. So I completely modeled that statement. Um, let's stay a little bit with, with one part of the vision female founders. Um, in life science, you always had um, the, the impression that there is not so much a pressing problem. But just think about uh, Emmanuel Chapetier, for example, uh, who got the Nobel Prize for CRISPR, or uh, Jennifer Doudna. Uh, both run great companies, CRISPR Therapeutics and Intelia, very successfully. I mean, uh, they drive their vision, their idea forward. And when I look at their companies, I think the teams are very inclusive. How do you see the situation in Europe currently for female founders and inclusive teams? What's the reality that you perceive within it? Yeah, you just look at how many females have won the Nobel Prize. Yeah, um, they are under undervalued too. Um, so we start there. Um, uh, what what we have seen due, due to the crisis, and and that's COVID, yes, but also uh, the energy crisis and the, and the war, etc. Um, in crisis situation, it's always a high time for entrepreneurs, but it's also a time where we fall back into old patterns. Mm -hmm. And, and you can measure that at many numbers. Yeah, for instance, just yesterday, there was a report about female entrepreneurship and investment in female entrepreneurs um, by uh, VU Wien um, and Austrian startups. Uh, and, um, and, and they found out that if we look at the numbers, so sheer heads, yeah, how many female founders have we got or how many startups have at least one female founder? That the number is growing, but if we look at the investment uh, volume, it rather went down uh, in percent, um, and that's something that was not yet explained in that study. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you know we have, on the one hand, there is uh, rising numbers, and what I found an impressive result it really, if we look at at ecosystem across Europe. Vienna is the best in terms of numbers of female founders. Yeah? So obviously, somehow Vienna has, has managed to, to uh, create an ecosystem where female founders feel very welcome um, and are being supported and do get funding. Um, so so uh, we are very strong in this. And that's something that we definitely need to build on. It's a strength that we have in Vienna. Um, and, you know, in it's, it's just one, one small wheel in that uh, ecosystem, very special wheel, but a small wheel. Um, so I believe that's something that we should and must build on. Yeah? If we look at uh, um, study numbers, for instance. Yeah, we as INITS, we are dependent on whether or not females do study physics, do study mathematics, do study informatics, do study engineering, yeah, um, etc. Um, and there the numbers are also notoriously low, um, one has to say. Um, we just um, recently, you can look it up also um, on the Women in Health IT uh, site, Uh, we had an interview of or a presentation of the vice rector for HR and uh, gender of the TU Wien, University mm -hmm. of Technology Vienna. Um, and she said that there are three studies which are notoriously low in females even starting to study. Um, and that is engineering, electrical engineering, that is um, engineering, Maschinenbau, um, mm -hmm. um, and that is informatics. And that's something that cannot be. Um, so somehow we need to also push um, 
culturally. Um, uh, and it probably that starts in kindergarten. And, you know, we all as parents, we are, have a responsibility to support our um, daughters um, in order to take the choice that we, they really would like and not, you know, convince them that a normal female job is this and not that. <laughs> Um, so um, and that's that's really encouraging um, uh, females to to go into STEM, study STEM, um, and then also build businesses. And and that's something that is is um, is hard if if in crisis situations, yeah, because there human beings tend to fall back into old patterns. Um, and um, and and yeah, this is something that we have. That's a tough nut to crack, I believe. Yeah. Did you 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 mentioned? I mean, you also read it's that um, especially in Central Europe, uh, women can successfully start businesses. But there seems to be something we follow on funding. Uh, I also read on the internet some articles that said that. Uh, for Series A, Series B, it seems still to be that uh, male teams are more successful in raising money than female teams. Yes. Interestingly, one article wrote that uh, even when the female founders team has female VCs on board in the early stages, they are not more successful than men in raising follow-on rounds. Did you did you find any reasons why why that is that way? Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of research being done at Babson College. Um, they, for instance, if you look it up, Diana Project, uh, amazing publications where they they you know dig up uh, biases in 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 various ways. Um, and what they saw is that uh, also in the United States they compared the development of VCs and managing partners of VCs, whether they were female or male. Mm -hmm. And also the number was going down till the last publication was a couple of years ago. Yeah? So it went down. But if they looked at their investments, the likelihood of a VC having a female partner um, was three times higher to invest into teams with a female founder or the female personal management. Um, the first round was more difficult for those teams. But then in the follow-on rounds, they had higher valuations because they grew better. Yeah. And that's, again, I mean, there's lots of research uh, that diverse teams are better. Um, we simply uh, neglect this, it seems. Um, that's really untapped potential. Um, and, um, and we need to, we need to uh, in, encourage to go um, and build diverse teams. Yeah. Mm. And that's something that we do see. Yeah, that's... Uh, that also there is also male teams who are who are earnestly um, looking for female uh, team members and female co-founders. Um, so there's lots of initiatives, um, and slowly uh, also the female the, the uh, male founders start to realize that it's an asset to have a diverse team and to have this other perspective. Um, and it's really the power of discussing it and looking at an innovation from all different kinds of perspectives um, that yeah. makes it um, successful. Yeah. Um, but the, the, um, one interesting point that was named yesterday as one of the reasons why there is so, such an equality is that female founders tend to get asked different questions than male founders. Yeah. Um, really? Female founders tend to get asked questions um, what do you do in order to prevent failure? Yeah? Whereas 
male founders tend to get asked, uh, what do you do to really reach the full potential? Yeah? So, um, and, and there are some questions. I got asked questions that nobody would ever ask a male person, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if it comes in a, a professional environment. Uh, um, so f- th- that's something that we also need to change. Yeah, We need to be aware of the fact that, um, that um, if, if a, a founder, a female founder is just, ask these kinds of what do you do to prevent failure it comes across much more defensive rather um, than answering a question what how do you reach that potential um, it comes across much more promising so to speak so there's lots of small issues that I think still need to be considered and we are not even aware of sometimes Uh, so that's something that we need to train ourselves to be more aware of that I absolutely agree with that Um... I think, I mean, there are many good reasons why teams should be mixed, so men and women, and also, uh, I think, uh, different social backgrounds and uh, different uh, countries, different uh, races should be included. Uh, but I just would would need to pick one... Ethnicities. Ethnicities, yeah. Uh, pick one argument for, for mixed teams. It's uh, what you mentioned before. Uh, you only understand problems when you have the people on board. So... W- simple male or white male teams only see problems of a very small percentage of society and don't get the full picture. So they neglect basically the majority of the market globally and they just develop a solution for a very narrow market. If the people want it, it's okay. But if they want to tackle the whole world, like Amazon did, for example, you can't solve the problems if you don't include the people in the development. You just don't see them. It's pretty easy. It's also... It's also something that uh, in, a, in a podcast interview, Kevin O'Leary, he's one of the investors in Shark Tank in the United States. He also got the question uh, if he would invest in women. And he says, yes, of course he does, because it's pretty simple. Why? Uh, he said uh, 75% of the profits he made with investments in startups in Shark Tank were led by women. So they're much better oh. in making They're much better at making profits than men. And this is the reason why he keeps investing in women, because they're just good at making profit. Yeah, yeah. No, there's, I I also think that, you know, there are some tendencies. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm the last person to really, you know, foster these kinds of uh, black and white pictures. uh, But but uh, there are some tendencies um, and and females tend to question themselves more. That also means they question their own strategies more. Um, if a female says, I can do that, usually you have more grounds to believe she really can <laughs> than a male. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no offense. Yeah. But this kind of attitude, you fake it till you make it, um, is much more common amongst fem- uh, male founders than it is amongst female founders. So um, I always say, yeah, if, uh, if a woman's uh, stands up and says, I can do that. Yeah, the likelihood that she really can is higher. <laughs> I think also in the investment world, women tend to be, because of what you mentioned is risk adversity. Uh, I think men are less risk averse than women. It's, it's good at times. But at the end of the day, I mean, I myself very often ask, uh, yeah. why did I invest in that, in that company? I mean, it was obvious right from the start. And having a conversation with women probably fixes the problem that uh, men are just too, uh, uh, neglecting risks too often. So I think this would be... Would yeah, be I believe it's always the balance. It's the diversity mm-hmm. again. Yeah? yeah, it's only, as you said, not only male and female perspective. Yeah, but if you have both on the table, at the table, then then the solution must be better. 
Um, and the same is true with different origins and cultures, etc. So diversity always matters. Yeah? And it's not one or the other. It's always together. Um, and I believe that's a concept that we need to Propel yeah. and foster. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Irene, it's really amazing and great talking to you, and I could go on for hours, but I see that we have 10 minutes left uh, on the call. Um, let me ask you, let's, let's switch to the final question, or one of the final questions. Um, the having a vision for a company and uh, dreaming how how the company could be in future i think is always easy sitting down and uh, talking about bright and great futures but what i see very often with founders is that they struggle with the first steps then and uh, to get it going so the second and third or fourth step is always easy uh, but the first step is sometimes very hard to find. What is your advice to founders for the for the first step? What what would you tell them if they come to you with the questions? How can we get going? We're just stuck. We have great ideas, but we don't know how to how to how to uh, put them to life. What 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 did you see with your companies? What should they do first? Just do it. <laughs> Take that first step. Yeah. yeah. Um, you will learn as you go, and that's exactly what you need to do. Yeah? You will not learn. If you don't go, um, so uh, the the business idea also gets better. Uh, try, try, you know, make small experiments early on. Um, talk to as many people as possible about what they consider a a valuable service or product. Mm. Um, um, get that feedback early on. Learn early on that what you thought is wrong, um, and really turn into your own customer and and fall in love with the customer's perspective um, um, and, and not with your product. Um, that's um, And just take that first step. Yeah, uh, You will always learn something, even if you fail. Um, um, even if you fail miserable, people get up again and try it again. Um, and then the, the second time it works. Um, and there's lots of entrepreneurs out there whose real success was not the first business, not the first try. It was not the first step. Um, of the first business, but then getting up again and, and you know saying, yeah, I learned something, and now I take the first step to a better business. And that's always something that um, that is a good idea. Yeah? But don't hesitate too much. Yeah, just take that step. There was an interesting uh, building on what you said. There was an interesting thought also from Brian Armstrong in a, uh, in a conversation. He was asked. Uh, when he decided to focus solely on Coinbase. So he started at Airbnb, was working a full-time job and built Coinbase uh, on weekends. And uh, there was a certain turning point where he said, okay, now I switch to the company. And his turning point was that the company already was successful, so he didn't have time for the Airbnb job. Uh, what is your advice coming from me? It's when people have a job and have an idea for a startup. What's your opinion on, on the right time of quitting the job? Should they... Uh, commit full-time to the startup very early or uh, is it something that you say that you learn that they should make differently? There must be at least one person who commits itself, him mm -hmm. herself, uh, fully to the company early on yeah? because um, it, it's that driving force that the startup needs. Otherwise, you're too slow. Um, not necessarily every function needs to be full-time um, from the very first day onwards. Mm -hmm. Um, but but uh, there must be one driving force who is committed fully to this. Um, I do understand that you know sometimes you need to sort out things and it takes a couple of months. But if you don't jump into that 
water um, uh, fully, yeah, you don't sw start to swim. Um, and that's uh, that's definitely something that that um, I would suggest. Yeah. That's true. We have uh, eight minutes left. Is there a specific topic that I missed on the podcast that you would like to discuss or would like to talk about at the end of uh, of this episode? Um, yeah, um, I would like to call not only for founders um, to take the first step, but also for uh, investors and also us all as customers to be more open-minded. Mm. Um, uh, change is something that is being driven by entrepreneurs. We need change faster. There is lots of problems. We see them, um, um, but, uh, but our attitude and our habits change too slow. Um, so be more open-minded if it comes to founding your own company, to invest into your company, in, into a, a, a startup, or also to buy the products of a startup, uh, because that will really drive economic wealth um, in, in our ecosystem in Vienna, particularly, but anywhere else too. Great, great words. Great words. I agree to all that you say. It's really great talking to you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks. Uh, Thanks. Bye. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Did you like the episode? Then please, please, please leave a five-star review on Spotify and Apple and make sure that you like, comment, and share the YouTube episode. It helps that the algorithm delivers the episode to people who also benefit from it the same way than you did. Have a great day.